Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni, and if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Uh, on Pixel Sift, we speak to the creative minds of video games and interactive media, and we find out their stories and we find out about what they make. What does it actually take to make those experiences that you love? Well, you'll find out if you keep listening. Joining me on this episode is my co-host, Mitch. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Haven't been on Leeds in a while, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's the dream team. This is episode 170, and joining us to share their new game is Emma Ramsey and Andy Young, a team based in Melbourne, uh, who've just made Eastern Market Murder, which is available now to play. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Going really, really well. We can't wait to dig into the history, into the technology and how it all comes together um, when we learn about uh, your game, uh, Eastern Market Murder. So let's jump in. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. If you've ever wanted to walk back in time, taking the journey, uh, finding out a bit more of the history of the streets in which you walk around on every day, well, you might enjoy Eastern Market Murder. It's a historical true crime game. Uh, it's a bit like uh, an, alt- an augmented reality, a bit like Pokemon Go. There's a sort of a geolocation sort of situation there. Um, but the people who would know best and, and who would describe it best are Emma and Andy, uh, tell us, what is Eastern Market Murder? I've just picked it up. I've loaded it up on my phone. What experience am I going to enjoy? Cool. So Eastern Market Murder is based on a true crime from 1899, um, which happened at Melbourne's old Eastern Market. It involves a fortune teller and phrenologist, um, and it's a pretty slippery case with a few different twists and turns. Um the guy who committed the crime, you really need to dig into his motives for doing so and you can either do that by playing at home in your lounge room or if you're in Melbourne you can go to where the crime actually happened um, in augmented reality, place the scenes, see the characters, see some of the shop fronts that used to be there um, and then travel around to 10 different locations and try and unravel what happened. Is it important to be respectful of the people who actually died when making stories like this in an interactive fashion because i've always wondered um a lot of historically accurate media not just video games how do you how do you respectfully tackle um the nuance of the story with uh, while still creating an interesting experience that is such a good question so um we had a huge compliment the other day from the great great granddaughter um of the man who died in this incident and we've been working with the great-grandson and, yeah, they've been involved since the beginning really. Um, It's massively important to us that we tell a true story and are respectful of the victims and their family and, you know, we we sometimes say that in the game you're um, reclaiming justice for the victim's family because, they were totally screwed over and, you know, you sort of think that these things only happened in the past but then there's also a reflection in today's society with a lot of the themes that are dealt with in the game. And I, and I think um, the relatives, they're, they're right into it. They, you know, might have seen our, you know, one of our ads for the game on Facebook or something and they contact us and say, 
I'm whoever's great great grandchild yeah. and you know and then they just start giving us all this information and photos and yeah. yeah it's not just one relative there's like about maybe 10 relatives across three different characters um from yes yeah, so it's, it's been a bit bizarre so I, yeah I wouldn't want to not be respectful because mm. they're still there's still living descendants now that could sue you for defamation <laughs> <laughs> did they open up any i uh, guess uh, avenues in your mind when they came across that were they telling you little bits of the story that you maybe hadn't come across in, the, in any of the official documentation yeah quite mm. a few things so um the story revolves around Annie and Frank Stevens. Their real name was um, Annie and Frank Cartwright, but Stevens was their stage name. Um, and they have so much of, like, they have a lot of their stuff still today, like physical stuff. Um, but they also knew all about, like, their romance from when they were teenagers and they we, we were in a travelling circus and spent a lot of time travelling around Australia. Um, so they have all of these, like, little anecdotes and stories from their earlier life which helped us, um, helped sort of inform us for what their characters would be like during the crime. So, um, you know, in Annie's, like, quite distraught at the death of her husband because they were super in love and had a daughter together. Um, yeah, so so that was really interesting. Um, another descendant that popped up was the great-great-grandson of Constable Wolgers. Um, that was pretty wild, actually, how we came across him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, he was sort of... Um, in how did you historical... cover him? Go any further. How did you come across this wild character? <laughs> well, sure. believe that, Aggie. Yeah, go for it. Well, it's like um, early on during the development, we we test, we try to test the game um, with, you know, it, it's essentially a paper playthrough. So it's like a board game that we've drawn out with our own hands, and we play. Uh, we tested it on. Um, a couple of friends of ours who live in Alexandra. Yeah, but they'd literally just moved back from Canada. Like yeah. they didn't know anyone. They have a they have a little cafe up there, and um, after they played the game, you know, uh, Randy was at at the counter, and you know, um, um, uh, I don't know, he's can't remember Jeremy. His, Jeremy, that's right. Welgers walks in ordering his coffee in the morning, and Randy's like, "Oh, hey, um, I just played a." A game, and one of the characters has the same last name as you, and then they found out that he was the great great grandson of Constable of Wilgers. Constable Wilgers, and, and he his, gave us some photos. His auntie <laughs> gave us a photo of him, so then we could because before that, if we don't have photos, we kind of just imagine what they would have looked like. But he sent us the proper photo of him, so we could model it off the actual person. Yeah, and he was sort of put, portrayed in the story as being. Um, like he didn't want to, when the murder happened, he took his sweet time going in there um, and so much so that like another guy went in first and had his eye sliced op like open and had to get it Off. removed. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate response, yeah. both of you, well done. <laughs> <laughs> that was the gruesome part of the, one of the gruesome parts. Yeah, so yeah. we were like, oh, Constable Wolgers, mm. Not not like everyone's everyday hero kind of thing, um, and then the great great grandson confirmed that, um, and it was his, his understanding that he actually got fired for drinking on the job. So, I think that was one. So he's no he's no Poirot. <laughs> yeah, like he's that's right. 
He's no Franny Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit about why um, you wanted to tell a game that was in a historical context? Because you, you could have told any sort of game. It's great fiction out there that's sort of fictionalized sort of stuff. But why is it important to tell something that was real? Um, well, um, I think it's, I mean, it always comes back to, to us, really. We've been selfish. We, <laughs> we enjoy, you know, um, true crime. And I think there's, there's, I don't know, a bit of a movement maybe um, that true crime is just so much more, hmm, what's the word, like believable? There's just or- another layer of depth to it. Like yeah. when we watch a series on Netflix or something, it's like we can't wait to, you know, and I'm sure other people do this too. Like you're watching, you get out your phone and I'm like, oh, my God, did that really happen? And you're like <laughs> researching as you go and then when you get to the epilogue at the end, epilogue? Yes, yeah. epilogue at the end where it sort of says, you know, then this person went on to do that. That's like our favourite bit. Like did they get away with it, especially <laughs> if it's a true crime, like any true story really, but particularly for true crimes, I just find them yeah. that extra layer, layer of fascinating. And and I guess and in turn to turn that into, you know, a game sense, which I, is, seems like it's an underutilised part of the, the industry, um, we also just kind of went, well, w- you know, why not? We just kind of went, let's let's make a game that we want to play because we don't seem to find other games out there like it. And the whole truth is stranger than fiction thing, uh, 100% with the stories we've told so far, like they're just <laughs> mind-blowingly bizarre. <laughs> and the Victorian era was full of crazy things that happened. So we really like the era and we really like the story and there isn't really anything out there like it, not that that was the main motivator. We were kind of surprised that... No one else is really dabbling in this area. But, yeah, it's good fun. We like it. <laughs> so you guys are obviously history nerds. Hide it. Busted. You must, you must be familiar with so many other stories. Why, why the Eastern Market murder? So um, we came across it um, when we were making our first game and we were listening to a, um, a podcast called Dead and Buried. And um, and Warren Maloney, the great-grandson of Frank and Annie, he was on that podcast as well as Carly Godden. And it was just um, it was just a super juicy crime. But then the most bizarre thing is thrown in there, which is that he's a phrenologist, <laughs> which is kind of like long and gone. And so mm. it starts getting really, you know, the story becomes a bit sort of twisty and, you know, interesting because, you know, you're dealing with something that's not here anymore. No one would sort of go, oh, I'm a phrenologist and, you know, mm. I I tend to solve the, I will try to solve the world's problems with my phrenology. <laughs> so I think um, it's I mean, I, I mean, I know what a phrenologist is, but for Gianni, well, what, 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 I mean, <laughs> he obviously doesn't know. Well, what, what is a phrenologist? You've got a beautiful shaped head, Gianni. I'm sure all of your faculty areas. <laughs> all of my problems, no problems at all. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful in the self-perfecting faculty region. Um, so phrenology was uh, in those days scientific study of the shape of the skull and its um, impact on behavioural traits. So if you've ever been to the old Melbourne jail or any probably old jail type thing, um, they often had the death masks. The the Melbourne jail, you can go and see them there. They took like casts of like hung Criminals. criminals. And that was to study the shapes, the bumps and lumps and divots on their head 
to determine what sort of um, criminal they were <laughs> or, or, or any type of behavioural traits. And it's so mm. sad because they used to do it to kids. It was basically just a way of being openly racist. Um, mm. Yeah, so, it, so I think the multi-layered part of the story and being able to dive into all those weird things that people completely believed and it was like a legitimate science for like a hundred and something years and and i think it's um for us as well it's a it's a story based in melbourne we found it close to home so we just kind of went you know this is this is something literally close to home we had one of we had our um, launch event for the first game at the old Melbourne jail with Ned Kelly's death mask <laughs> right in between us during the speeches and our sound designer and musician Sienna Lee was you know singing with Ned Kelly's death mask right behind her so I think it was kind of the logical next step to do a game on phrenology. <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me. Hey, um, can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, when you're making this game, you, you've picked it as something which is going to use a lot of augmented reality. It also uses geopositioning if you're in place. Um, why was that an important way to tell this story when you could have told it in, in many different ways? Mm. Um. So, I think as far as the geolocation goes and being able to go to the actual crime scenes, there's something really like spine tingling about that. Um, in the final scene of this one, um, you go to the old Little Burke Street Watch House, which it's just like a brick building that's still there and is now Punch Lane Wine Bar, which is totally awesome because you need a drink after you've confronted the killer <laughs> like, or three steady, or four steady drinks. Steady your nerves. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's something really, really um, exciting and to use a overused word immersive about actually being there where the crimes happened and as far as the augmented reality goes um the two go hand in hand for the on-site version at least i think um when you're playing from home that we we'd love to do um other games that aren't in augmented reality that would probably be better suited for playing at home Mm -hmm. um but if you're into pokemon go or other AR stuff and you don't mind having criminals hanging around in your lounge room, then um, the <laughs> off-site mode works just as well because the story is really juicy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think, um, one of, I, you know, I go back to like a, a, an idea we talked about in the early stages of development, which was like, why don't we do like a bit of a ghost tour? So it, it kind of has the essence of that in it as well. Like, you're going around to the actual locations and you're placing as this character which is sort of ghostly appears and then you have conversations with them trying to either interrogate them or, you know, get get answers out of them. Mm. And I guess it's not just lip service either, like that building behind you, Gianni, um, it's not there anymore. Like you wouldn't recognise the area at all but we've recreated... Uh, Midor, he was the killer, his whole phrenology shop based on um, photos or drawings from the time um, and from details that we picked up in the newspaper articles and stuff like that. So um, to be able to go where he actually was and see his actual shop where he did business and committed the crime, like I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually had a question about accessibility because um, obviously 
um, if you want to play the full AR experience, you have to walk around and, and access buildings and things like that. Is, is, is things like wheelchair accessibility and did you have to go and scout out these locations to make sure that as many people as possible could get there and experience it as possible? Yeah, yeah. So it's all street level. So it's all wheelchair friendly. Um, City of Melbourne. Um, so yes, we did do a lot of scouting um, in the early stages to see where the suitable locations would be. Um, and we learned a lot from our first game as well that um, because it's the sort of game where you need to listen really carefully, the busier, bigger streets are kind of off the cards. So this one's um, uh, you start at the town hall and it's mostly just down laneways and then smaller laneways. Um, and the City of Melbourne does an incredible job. They During lockdown, they reduced the speed limit in all of those laneways to 20 kilometres an hour, so it's much more pedestrian-friendly as well. Um, and they've got maps that map out for people in wheelchairs, like the incline of the road and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, we, it was, we were very mindful to make it as accessible as possible. Um, yeah. Mm, there's no, no stairs or second-level sort of experience in this at all. Yeah. We're talking, you know, close to more, more, almost more than 100 years uh, now than this when this actually happened. How many changes in the real world uh, have there been? And did any of those have to um, shape the way that you told this story? Were there any places you just said, well, we actually can't go to that particular place anymore because there is no way to access it? It's completely built over or, or anything like that when you were making this game? Yeah, mm. so um, Annie Stevens spent 20 years working at the Melbourne Waxworks, which is like a game unto its own really. It's just it was mm -hmm. a crazy place. They had the Chamber of Horrors where they would put like, um, yeah, similar kind of vibe. It was like people who are into true crime today would have been into the Melbourne Waxworks. Um, and she worked there for a long time, like 20 years, and we were very keen to include that, but A, it was a little bit far away from the other locations, and B, it's now Burke Street Police Station. <laughs> so <laughs> so that that kind of took it off the cards because there's really there's nothing. I mean, there's a really good dumpling place next door, but mm. apart from that, all the interesting stuff is gone. So we referenced the waxworks in another scene, um, but, yeah, that's an example of something that got, quickly got taken off the cards. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't want a whole bunch of people turning up with their phones, pointing them at the police station. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like cause a few raised eyebrows in yeah. the, <laughs> the people in blue. Um, you, for your previous game, Misadventure in Little On, you, you were actually the winner of the Digital Storytelling Award at the Victorian Community History Awards. Um, can you, congratulations for that because we were talking a little bit when, when that all happened um, and we didn't get a chance to talk to you when, when that happened, but now we've got you on the show, so congrats. Um, can you tell me how much how does that sort of recognition um, factor into making your next game and, and what sort of things does that uh, give you as developers? I guess it's just um, motivation to keep going that the work that we're doing is appreciated in different circles. Um, so it was quite funny because the History Awards came r right alongside at the same time as the AGDAs, the Australian Game Awards, um, which we were a finalist in a couple, a couple of categories. Mm -hmm. can't remember. Mm -hmm. One category? Two? Don't know. Um, and there was a few other awards at the same time and they were just so different. Like mm. the AGDAs had um, the host was like on that uh, what's-his-name from The NeverEnding Story like it was just was wild. It? Oh. it was really fun and awesome and um, the History Awards was just very, very serious. So, you know, to have that <laughs> that contrasting recognition from two completely different areas is really 
um, fun for us as well. Like, because mm. it, yeah, it's it's great to open up games to other people who don't usually play them in a way that they really appreciate. Yeah, like very very diverse um, audiences. Is that the experience that you know you've? CAD people come across who think that they're not into games but, you know, can totally get into this guided walking tour sort of almost experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah. for sure. There was um, there was a very sweet old lady that came along to our first launch thinking that it was a book launch. So she couldn't – we didn't quite get her over the line. I think she was about 95 <laughs> or something. But um, gen- generally we find um, like the the – the, the group combos probably the best to play together, like with an older person who can tell the younger person a bit more about the history and what they remember from being there. And then the younger person's telling the older person how to, um, you know, use their phone and yeah, <laughs> get place, about the city. and How to place like AR that. characters. Yeah. yeah. And in the first game especially because it was all about um, sly grog and brothels and opium dens, like that was there were some interesting discussions to be had. <laughs> do you consider Eastern Market Murder an educational resource? Um, the educators do, most definitely. <laughs> um, it's not something that we sort of set out to right. intentionally do, but um, because it's a true story and their actual locations and a lot of what the characters say is straight out of the coroner's reports and newspaper articles, so it's, like, linguistically correct as well in a lot of the cases. Um, also letters that Meador wrote from jail in his own words are used in, in his in his part. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we set out initially to, like, just make a game that we wanted to play. Like, that was the initial the initial idea we were, like, you know, what, wouldn't it be cool to have something like this um, and be able to play it? <laughs> uh, but it's really cool, like, to see the people that have, you know, sort of gravitated towards it. And it is, yeah, the educators, the historians, and, you know, some gamers like it too. People who so, like playing murder mystery type. We'd love to learn a little bit more about you now. How did you actually start making games? What was your, your background and, and what made you sort of press the button on starting uh, making a couple of different games, award-winning games, and, and now a second one that's just come out. Uh, games? games <laughs> okay, we're going back in time. Like, way, way back. <laughs> yeah, way back. So that, I guess it was late late 90s. Well, I got into games um, uh, at the time I was, I was, I had to make a choice between, um, so I, 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 uh, I got into a course at RMIT, um, it was a animation multimedia sort of course, uh, post grad, and at the same time, I got a uh, job offer, um, which yeah, I you know interviewed for, and basically had to choose between um, this game studio or the course. Um, so yeah, I, I I chose the money basically. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. And then I guess, you know, just sort of stuck at it for a while and, you know, years down the track, uh, now we are making games together. I, I, I guess we took a bit of a break and we, we sort of got into um, an animation By break, business. he means we set up our own animation we business. Set up, we set up it's our not, own animation business. It wasn't exactly business. a break. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a break from games and yeah. we, we did a bit of animation. We moved, we moved to the... 
we had a bit of a sea change and um, we moved, um, I don't know, what is that? Well, the, towards towards closer ago. to the beach and then we um, we had a animation company for about five years. Yeah. You know, we, we could, you know. Anyways, how how long have you got? Like we've been together for twenty, how many years? Yeah. we've been together for an extremely long time, and working together for. Well, we've worked together for quite quite a lot. I mean, <laughs> just trying to think. Like we we moved to New Zealand for about four years and worked together there for the same same company as well, right? <laughs> But so we're used to working together. <laughs> so obviously you must have a good working dynamic because otherwise <laughs> yeah. it'd be like a bit of a challenge uh, navigating real life and work life as you go through that. Yeah, it is still a challenge. <laughs> let's, let's not delude ourselves. It is a challenge. Any couples out there, think twice before you <laughs> start making games together. Yeah. But um, uh, we have uh, we had a, a great guy, Heath Smith, who um, – helped us out a lot with the second game. He's like a proper game designer. Or otherwise known as um, a marriage counsellor in our case. He totally was a marriage (laughs) counsellor for us and he often took my side, which I, thanks, he really appreciated. (laughs) He sometimes took my side. No, 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 it's not not about sides. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's about sides. I've had this conversation before in my house. Um, can you tell me what are some of the things that you really love about making interactive experiences like this? Because, you know, you, you could go and make lots of different things. It sounds like you've worked in a lot of different uh, spaces, um, but making an experience like this, what does it give you uh, professionally, personally, um, that you really, really enjoy? You know Oh, so I really loved it on our launch weekend, seeing all these people lined up against a brick wall with their phones. That brought me a ridiculous amount of joy because what they're seeing is something that was there over 100 years ago and they were so into it. It was like they would just teleported to another planet and when they finished confronting the murderer, they all just came out with this like, what the hell just happened? Look on their faces, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome. I love, I loved seeing that. That mm, was my favorite mm. bit. I think, I think I like the idea of uh, a a person being able to, like, it's a it's a very linear story, or at least you know, on on paper, it's it is a linear linear story. You know, you can't really do anything about that. But the the game experience, the the interactivity. You know, um, people feel like they are making a difference. They have a choice in, you know, how they mm. how they extract their own information. And um, I think you know that's what I that's what I'm enjoying. We're you know, it just feels like you know the learning is is just big steps um, forward. Even after this one, we're like, how can we make the next one even more kind of um, interactive and so that people find out things in their in their own sort of scope Mm, we we have things in the game um like and i think we're kind of we sort of take it for granted now but it still blows some people away that they have to pour a cup of tea for a guy before he'll tell you his side of the story and you actually have to like pick up the teapot move physically closer pour the like tilt your phone like it's a teapot and just watching and observing people doing that um it's really yeah that i really it was it was interesting really cool. to watch people do that at packs in a tight space 
they'd have to excuse themselves and like you know do things over people and <laughs> Um, you, you talked a little bit about some of those lessons that you've learned and a bit of what we do at Pixel Sift is sort of sharing some of that knowledge there. Um, this is the second game that you've got out now. I'm sure there were things that you learned um, from Little Lon uh, that you brought along and said, oh, well, we're not going to do it that way. We'll do it slightly different for uh, Eastern Market. Um, but what are some of the big lessons you learned from from this project that you think people should think about if they want to embark on on this sort of project or even any creative project? Mm. Should mm. we? I mean, the the big one, you know, we, we talked about um, we talked about Heath Heath, um, our designer. He consultant. Sorry, not to mess with you know the the bigger companies he works for, but um, he so he came along to the first game, and he is right into um, he's always wanted to make uh, a mysteries. You know, he's right into mystery games. You know, sort of solving stuff, and he just. Um, Gave us a few sort of pointers on the first game, and we kind of were like, "This is, this might, you know, lead somewhere." He kind of also dropped that he works for, designed for big companies, so we kind of like pulled him along. And I think one of the biggest things we learnt, well, uh, one of the biggest things I learnt was about um, how to structure game design, and we. The first game started from the ground up. We were like, this is the script, you know, like here's a coroner's report. Here's all the information. How do we squeeze it into this game? And he said, don't do that. Let's start from the very top. What do you want to achieve? And then what are sort of like three pillars that will hold that up? Um, and then we... We basically structured everything underneath that. Basically, every decision we make, you know, with the second game, we refer back to our our three pillars. And if it fits, then we use it. If it doesn't fit, we throw it out. And I think um, from more of the producer writing side, which is what what I'm up to, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's like recognizing what your weaknesses are or what your gaps are even and, and even that is kind of challenging sometimes <laughs> don't want to admit that you're not particularly good at something but having someone like Heath on board um Carly Godden who did our historical research um she also co-wrote the script which was really much better than trying to write it my for the first one um my auntie in the first one did a bit of editing but being able to have a co-writer and just that extra set of eyes and someone to bounce things off it was just really really valuable and um yeah like you don't have to do everything like I tip my hats to solo devs out there but Mm. gee that's a hard road to travel and I think the um you know, if you're like in the trenches and really in the thick of it it's kind of hard to keep that um, objectivity about whether whether your game's any good. So having a few extra people that you can run things by and um, it's just really, really valuable and, you know, there's no, there's no shame in admitting what you're bad at <laughs> and finding someone who's good at that and it's only going to make your game better. Uh, is, it, is it valuable as well that, you know, you might be focusing hyper focused on one particular aspect and someone can come in and be that reality check and say hey look you know 
you don't need to think about it that much or, you know, that thing is already very good. You don't need to, to panic. Has that been a, your experience when making this game? Yeah, absolutely. And like the, um, especially through testing, testing and seeing people experience mm. it for the first time is so valuable. And I wish we had um, time and money to do more and more and more, even though we already did quite a lot. Um, yeah, because it, it brings it brings that other um, perspective and that other set of eyes on things is just, yeah. That's- yeah, I think like, yeah, surrounding for one, one part of it is, yes, yeah, surrounding yourself with really skilled people and then the other part is surrounding the game with people with fresh eyes. Mm. You know, they'll, they'll, get, they'll tell you everything about it. And I think it also goes hand in hand with I'm not shy to ask people for help. Um, Sienna Lee, you know, her kid goes to school with our kid, but she's also an absolute rock star. Like she was a literal rock star (laughs) in the 2000s. And um, I was asking her about, oh, is there any sound studios down here? Because we live in a pretty small town. And she's like, oh, what are you up to? Oh, I'd love to get involved. And, you know, (laughs) we've been working with her for two years now and she's extraordinary. So, yeah, just talking to people and if they're interested, then... Do you have anything to bring to the table? <laughs> just rope them in. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You're good. Come on. Come on board. In. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically my go-to move. It works well for me. <laughs> um, well, it's it's a great experience if you want to jump in and relive a little bit of history. Uh, it's called Eastern Market Murder. You can also check out Misadventure in Little Lon, which is the previous game um, available on the App Store and on Google Play. Uh, and you can head to truecrimegames.com if you'd like to learn more. Emirandi, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I feel like we could speak to you for forever. <laughs> um, there's so much there to go there. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Ah, oh, thanks so much for having us. Thanks, guys. Um, Pixel Sift is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Sarah Island, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou, Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni and I'm the executive producer. And as always, we'll be putting links to everything we talked about uh, in the show notes of this episode, which you can see in your podcast player, or you can also find it on our website, which is pixelsift.com.au. And you can also come and join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work and talk about topics and games and everything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And I'll, and if you like what we do, can we ask a favor? If you need, we need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters and start someone's journey into podcasts because we know that getting started is tricky, but once you're in, you'll love it too much to leave. Next week, uh, we'll be back with Pixel Sip Plays, playing one of the many indie games featured on the show. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye.